Good morning. It's good to see each one of you here today. I <clears throat> I got a little excited about the message this morning, the fact of I got to thinking on the way here that you have heard me say a lot of times that Jesus Christ went to Calvary and paid a debt he didn't know because we owed a debt we could not pay. As I think about Christmas, I think a lot of people will go in debt. Maybe you. That we got to have that newest craze or newest toy or newest gift for your spouse or your friend. I think about the madness that happens on uh, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, where people have been stomped to death trying to find a certain gift. And I think about debt. You know, I have oftentimes in the ministry have, have heard a lot of things, even from people who claim to be Christians. As we'll hear, most people say, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been commercialized, like Snoopy and would say on peanuts with a Christmas tree. There are truth to that which Christmas trees and things get started and put it out before even October. But I often think that even in the church, we say that Christ is the reason for the season, but we come quite complacent. Cannot help but think it was 14 years ago on Christmas that I was preaching and maybe 12 people showed up on Christmas Day. I'm often asked, are you going to cancel church if it's on Christmas Day? I can tell you, uh, no. Because why would I cancel celebrating the Savior of the world? But even in the church, it becomes complacency that sometimes sets us apart from reality of the Word of God. That's why one of my favorite Christmas tunes, if you will, is by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, Children's Choir, called Happy Birthday, Jesus. Happy Birthday, Jesus. I'm so glad it's Christmas. All the presents are nice, but the real gift is you. You see, this morning as we start our Christmas series, I'm going to read a verse that is familiar to you. But I want you to understand the gravity of what we celebrate. Christ is the greatest gift that has been given. And no matter what you do, you cannot purchase that gift. It is a gift that you cannot afford to pay. The grade is too high. The debt is too high. But it was a gift freely given by God for all of those and us who don't deserve it, that we may be reconciled unto God. If there wouldn't have been a birth, there wouldn't have been a death. And there wouldn't have been a death, there would be no hope for you and me. Let us pray. 
<clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your good mercy. God, I pray as we study your word today that you would open up our hearts as someone said in the class this morning that it clicks. That Lord, you would reveal to us through your scriptures that Lord, if there's one here today that does not have a relationship with you, that you would convict their heart before it's eternally too late. Lord, those that are here that may have become complacent and we spend more time focusing on those things we can buy others than celebrating the one who gave the ultimate gift to us. Lord, we love you and thank you for all that you've done and all God's people said. If you have your Bibles, I ask that you turn with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Now, I will be focusing on Isaiah 9, chapter six, or verse 6. It is a verse that you are familiar with, but I need to get into context of this scripture so you'd understand what is happening here. Now, Isaiah was a prophet that would prophesy 700 years before the birth of Christ. He would serve under four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Now, he would prophesy in the southern kingdom. Now, as I have told you, at the death of Solomon, uh, Israel would split, if you will. The, the Jews would split Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Israel had no good kings, uh, Judah had eight, if you will. In the time of jo- uh, at, at, at Isaiah, take into consideration that it is a time of turmoil because what had happened is they had turned their backs on God. Okay? As a matter of fact, uh, Isaiah, according to church history, would be killed by the king Messiah. I'm sorry, Manasseh, not Messiah, Manasseh which was Hezekiah's son, one of the evilest kings that ever reigned. According to tradition, he was cut, put in wood and cut in half with a timber saw. But he would proclaim a message of hope. And I want you to read the text with me as we read the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, 1 through 6. Please stand up with me as we read. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee to the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in dark land, the light will shine on them and you shall multiply their nation. And you shall increase their gladness. They shall be glad your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoils, for you shall break the yoke of their burden, the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. You may be seated. You see, we have all heard Isaiah 9, 6, but you must go into context with what is going on in this and what Isaiah is saying. You see, this is a time during the king. Ahaz's rule, which was a very bad king. And Ahaz was told to rely on God to go and ask him for a sign. 
But he refused to do so. And therefore, God's judgment came upon the people. Now look what it says in verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. Now I want you to think about this for a few moments. This trouble was by their own making. They brought this upon themselves. It isn't it amazing that I've said many times, most of the trouble we bring on is by our own making. Would you tend to agree? See, they had turned their back on God. This is where it gets very interesting. He said, but later you shall make it glorious. In other words, I am going to give you mercy that you don't deserve. You see, the reason they were under gloom and they were so distraught is because they were under oppression from the Assyrians. As a matter of fact, if you look at the tribe that is listed, Zebulun and Ephtali, along with Asher, was given the part of Galilee as a part of their inheritance. But they were commanded by God to run off all the Canaanites. They failed to do so. And by not doing so, they fell into apostasy. They intermarried. Sin has consequences. Now listen, where are we going here? They brought this on themselves because they directly disobeyed God. But he says to them that no longer shall you you be in anguish. He will make you glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Now this is what is so beautiful with this verse. Now I want you to think about it for a few moments. You see... What is amazing about this is he says that they will be among the Galilee of the Gentiles. Where this is talking about is part of a northern kingdom, which was an easy access way, easy access way for foreign people, foreign invaders, foreign trade. And what would happen when they would intermingle and marry, okay? And they would become what we would say people of what Jewish people didn't like. Gentiles, mixed breeds as well. But look what he says. By the way of the side of the Jordan, the Galilee of Gentiles, next verse, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. You see, even the Pharisees would say nothing good comes out of Galilee. Well, they fail to realize that Isaiah is talking about Jesus. You see, not only was Jesus... Jesus to the Jews. He's Jesus to the Gentiles. We fail to understand that. That Christ came for all people, no matter where you're from or who you are. What is so beautiful about this text is I want you to go with me for a few moments. Who was it that Jesus showed Himself to first? The Galilean ministry. He didn't go to the, he didn't go to the well-educated, the great people of Jerusalem the well-to-do, the great educated people. He showed himself to people who were considered outcasts. Have you ever thought about this? Who was the first person that, that the angels went to when Christ was born? The shepherds. A little lower on the scale of goodness. The society shelf is kind of low because they smelt like sheep. They were herders. But the angels 
showed themselves to them. And we take to the wise men a couple of years later. Or they would search for Christ and they would come. Men that were soothsayers. They were Gentiles. Christ is a Christ for all people. You see, what he is saying in this is even though in your sin, even though in your rebellion, there's a hope coming from all people, not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Look what he says in verse 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in the dark land, the light will shine on them. Mercy, which is not deserved, will be given. And that mercy is given to all of us who believe. And it is not deserved. There's none of us deserve this mercy. There's none of us deserve this grace that God will give. And you say, well, Chad, that seems kind of harsh. Let me tell you something. We are made from dirt. We are God's creation. So many times I hear so many people say, why would a loving God do this? God's not that. Look, He created us. He formed us. He gave us the mouths that we breathe with, our nostrils that we smell with, our eyes that we see with, and we have belittled His name. We have done that. We do not deserve this mercy. But yet in God's great grace and mercy, He gave a gift to us. And it's a debt we never can repay. Those who walk in darkness will see a great light. Not only were they walking in darkness then, those that walk in darkness now can see a great light in Jesus Christ. Those who live in a dark land like they live in now. You think about this. Well, I'm going to get a little bit further there. The light will shine on them. I think about God's mercy and I think about His grace. And when I think about what God has done, to, done for us, one thing that amazed me, and, and, and I'm try, trying to get off on track this morning. This morning I was sharing, sharing with a catechism class that I began to think about this sermon. I began to think about a song. And I began to think about the greatness of God. And I cannot remember driving from Spinks to Barry's Mill Road. And like I told you, I hope I didn't hit nobody. But as I was singing and praying, my mind was occupied. I could not help but the verses of this song. Listen, I want you to listen what mercy is. That those who walk in darkness by your own creation, a light will show upon you. That's mercy, right? That's grace. That's unmerited favor. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are mercy, many, His mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. What riches of kindness he's lavished on us? His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are, are many. His mercy is more. That which they nor we deserve, God freely give. 
Verse 3, you shall multiply the nation. You will shall increase their gladness. And they shall be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Christ brings joy. And anybody that has been touched by Jesus Christ is joyful. Why? Not only are you joyful because what you've been saved out of, you're joyful because of who holds you while you're saved. You ever thought about that? I cannot imagine being oppressed by a foreign territory. And I cannot imagine being having to worry about where my next meal is going to come from, who's going to invade my home. I can imagine, not imagine being consumed by all these things, but know that regardless, there is hope. Look what he says in verse 4. He says there will be joy, but let me tell you, he gives the reason for joy. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. There's a reason for the joy because Christ will take the burden upon himself. Come all you that heavy laden and I will give you rest. You see, what he is using here is an illustration. He talks about the battle of Midian. Why is that so important here? Because if you read the book of Judges, you will find out that Gideon fought the battle of Midian when he was supposed to have 32,000 men. God cut him down to 300. You see, here's the moral of the story. It's beautiful. That's where I get excited. It's not men that, who are great that determine the outcome of a battle. It's God who fights the battle. It's God who fights this battle. And he tells him it's going to be like the battle of Midian. I'm in control. I got the battles. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood for will be burning with a fuel of fire. Not only will he be in charge of all things, there will be peace. See, how can you say that? Look what he's saying. That all the instruments for warfare, listen, they're just kindling for fire, people. They're just kindling for fire. Because once Christ comes and establishes His kingdom, there's no need for war, for He is all things for all people, and He is in control, and there will be peace in the valley. Amen? For every boot... And every booted warrior in the battle tumult and the cloak be rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. Look what he says. For a child is born. Now we get into the root. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given. Four is a term of explanation. The child, fully God, fully man, if you have your Bibles with me, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. He begins in verse 6. It says, Who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, in being made in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
He was fully God and fully man. Although he emptied himself of his divine prerogatives, he never ceased being God. He never ceased being God. And when he ascended into heaven, he didn't give up his humanity either. Fully God and fully man. For a child, this is a reason. The term of explanation. How is all this going to take place? You see why I wanted to go back in context? That here Isaiah is in the time of horrible times. He is predicting a future when all this will come to pass. Sadly, those that were living in that time would not see. Nor did Isaiah see this time. But his hope was in the one who promised and was faithful. Because there's a time coming. You see, I get a little excited with this myself. You know what? I didn't see the first advent of Christ. But I look forward to the second. But because of Christ and God's rich, wondrous grace and mercy, here's the thing, people. Listen to this. If I don't see the second advent, I won't see his return. The Bible tells me if I die, I'm in his presence. And when he comes back, I'm going to meet him. Is that not beautiful? As a Christian, you live, you win. You die, you win, regardless of what we Christ. That ought to get you a little bit excited. Although he gave up his divine, divine prerogatives, he never ceased being God. For unto us a child will be born. A son will be given to us. So Hebrew writers often did this to emphasize the point. A child, a son... This is where I want to get to a meat for a few moments. It's all meat, but I want you to chew on this ribeye for a second. Listen to me. What are you willing to give up for the cause of Christ? A son will be given. God give His only begotten Son. Never will forget the story of a man who was fishing. It's a true story. With his son and his son's best friend. His son was a Christian. His best friend, son's best friend was not. And a storm came up on the lake and they capsized. And as both the boys, as both the boys cried and screamed for help, the father decided to rescue the friend than he did his own son. Listen to me. Because he knew his son when he entered into death, he had entered in the presence of Jesus Christ. And he saved the friend. That through that, he may have an opportunity to come to Christ. Do you hear me? What do you sacrifice? You say, Chad, that's a horrible story. That's what Christ was. God's only begotten Son. Not just for one man, but for mankind. Mankind. He didn't have to come. God could have said, stay where you are. But He came and humbled Himself. A Son will be given to us. Fully God, fully man. And we got to understand this. I heard a preacher talking about this. We love the song, Away in the Manger. Away in the manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down His sweet head. You remember this? The cattle are lowing. The baby awakes. The little Lord Jesus, no crying He makes. Yes, He did. He was fully man. Find me in Scripture where crying is a sin. 
I beg you. Because if it was one a sin, then why did Jesus weep when Lazarus died? The Bible's cold. Because to be fully God and fully man, He had to be those or He couldn't be your Savior. A child will be given to us. A gift. A gift that which we don't deserve, yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What a gift. And that gift's worth more than that PlayStation that's worth $7,000 that people try to buy. That's gifts more than that car. You see, the ultimate thing about this, the gift that was given, everything that we buy this week, this next week, or as Jimmy said at 5 o'clock, Christmas Eve, I'm right away, I do the same thing. Listen, it will go away and somebody else will have it. We were on Facebook the other day, somebody we knew that died and they were auctioning off all their stuff. That seems to be a common thing. That everything that you have, somebody else will own. But the gift right here is a gift that will never go away and is a true sacrificial gift because it's a gift given us that we don't deserve. A gift will be given to us. Mm. I want you to think about this for a few moments. If we really took the time to think about what Christ has done for us each day when we wake up, I bet we'd live the day differently. But we get complacent. You see, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. I have to go here for a few moments. That's why you hear me say continuously that the government nor anybody else is going to save you. In a time now, if you watch Fox News, you got nations rattle sabering nuclear weapons. Jets are scrambling. Dollars are going down. But one day there's coming a ruler over the governments that this stuff will be no more. And it's going to be a government established not for the people, by the people, but a government established by Christ for Christ. Do you hear me? I look forward to that day. Part of the promise that He given us. But I want you to look at the names our Christ has given. And His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Christ is wonderful. His life was wonderful. His death was wonderful. His ministry is wonderful. The ministry that He has given through us is wonderful. How many times we use that word so flippantly? I do it. Chad, how are you feeling? Man, I'm wonderful. But let me tell you what wonder is. Wonder is being continuously enamored with Wow! Christ's name is wonderful. 
Every aspect of his being is wonderful. And it's this wonderful counselor. Now see, this is very interesting to me too in this context. That's why I backed up. Wonderful counselor, he who gives godly advice. Careful to who you listen to. If only it comes from God's word, would we listen. But we don't. You see, like I backed up a little bit early, King Ahaz, he was told to ask God for a sign. But Ahaz went on his own counsel. Let me tell you something. When you rely on your own self, you will fail. The counsel that Christ gives is spirit and it's truth. His word is truth. And he's the most beautiful, wow counselor because everything that he is and everything that he does is for his glory and for your benefit for those that trust in him. Mighty God. Oh, he's mighty. You know what amazes me is how we've wimpified Jesus. We have wimpified him. It comes from the Hebrew word gabor. Strength. Great strength. But yet we've wimpified Jesus. Oh, that poor old Jesus, he got beat up by the Romans. That poor old Jesus is the clean cut with the Harachi sandals, the blue eyes and the brown hair that you've seen. Oh, not a stain of dirt on him. Let me tell you something. Jesus is more of a man than any man is a man. He's not a wimp. Because I'm going to tell you why. Because what the world views as a man comes well short of what we try to attribute to Jesus. Christ is mighty. And His words and His power is mighty. He is a mighty God. Fully man, fully God. And He is mighty. I love the song, What a Mighty God We Serve. Angels bow before Him. Heaven and earth adore Him. The Bible says in the same book of Philippians that at the sound of His voice, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. This is the same Jesus that died under the nails and under the wrath of God. But it's the same Jesus that could have called angels to save Him. But He did not. That's not wimpy. That's sin. And that's a mighty God. Fully man and fully God. He is worthy of praise. He made this world. It's by Him and for Him. He'll bring it back to him. And he's the everlasting father. I got a little wow moment during our catechism class that this actually came up. Everlasting father. I want to be clear with this because there's some out there who have turned this verse around. That Jesus is God the Father. Look, there is one God. He is three persons and each person is fully God. 
By taking a God and seeing that He wears three different masks is what we call modalism. It's denying the Trinity. There is one God. He is three persons. And each person is fully God. He has always been. He will always will be. Before Abraham was, I am. He is eternal, which means He will never go away. He has always been. He will always be. Father. So what does it mean, Chad, by this term, this enduring term, Father? Jesus Christ, just like the shepherd is to a sheep, a father is to his children. We're the children. We're God's children. He looks over us. He cares for us as a father would his child. You know, when I was a kid, I got in a lot of trouble. So I got to thinking about these things. You know, a shepherd, when the sheep stray off, he'll whop it over the head with that thing, staff. Child misbehaves, he'll, father, give you a whooping. But I'm going to tell you something about a father. We always think about discipline. I'm glad my Jesus cares for me. Because in a time when we see our earthly fathers will let us down, Jesus Christ won't. Eternal Father, He who cares for the children of God and Prince of Peace. I love this. You see, the Prince of Peace, I've been thinking about this for a while. He's the peace of nature. Who is this that even the seas and winds obey Him? He is the peace of the external. For wars shall cease and they will become done because Jesus Christ is in control. The name of Jesus divides, but it also brings peace. I love the story in World War I how the French, I'm sorry, how the English and the Germans were on opposing trenches and if you ever known anything about World War I, trench warfare, people would fight and die for yards. But on Christmas Eve, the English began to sing Silent Night. And at the same time, across the other trench, the Germans decided to sing Silent Night too. You have two voices singing Silent Night. Both singing to the same Jesus, but both at conflict. Both a different people from a different group, but the same Jesus who died for all. As they sung silent night, a deafness and quietness entered across the battlefield, and the guns were silent. History records that those men came out of their trenches on Christmas Day and played a soccer match. And they shook hands. And then the battle would resume. But for a brief moment, there was peace. Jesus can bring peace. Not only does He bring peace in the external, brothers and sisters, He brings peace to the internal. If you have no peace, you have no Christ. You see, only Christ can give you that peace to know that you have been reconciled with the Father. And I can tell you this, if you're not reconciled with the Father, you're miserable. 
You run from your sin. You run from your sin, or you run to run in your sin. You run from God. But let me tell you that 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 you seek that will bring you peace that will never be given to you. There's nothing that you can do nor work for as we talked this morning that's going to give you that peace. The only thing that can give you that peace is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I promise you that when He saved you, He will give you a new nature. And the peace that you have, let me tell you this, I may die tomorrow, but I can lay my head down tonight knowing that if I did, I'm going to be in the presence of Christ Almighty. Does everybody have that? See, he's the prince of peace. He will give the sinner peace to know they've been reconciled with God. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters that are saved. Maybe you have a burning mispeace about you. You're worried about tomorrow. You know Christ is the giver of peace. But Satan's got a grip on you. You ever been there? Where you struggle over the worries of tomorrow? And it's not the peace with your soul you're concerned about, but the peace around you. Let me tell you something. We never were promised to have a peaceful day. But we were promised to be guided by the Prince of Peace. I pray today that you not only have saving peace, but you're walking in sustaining peace that can only be given by Jesus Christ. So let me give you the moral of the story. Isaiah would never see the fruits of his labor. And he would prophesy that something that was going to happen, not only the birth of Christ, and that's why Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is so great. It's 66 chapters of all aspects of Jesus' being. His birth and his death. And the beautiful thing about this scripture is what we find is even though 700 years earlier he would not see the fruits, he trusted in God who gave him the message. And he looked forward to the coming of Christ. He looked forward. Just like he looked forward in faith that what God would say was true. He believed. Brothers and sisters, do you look forward to the second coming of Christ? Or do you fear it? See, listen to me. The day Jesus comes back will be a great and terrible day. For those that are His will be surrounded by His presence and love. But those who are not, He will say, depart from me, I never knew you. But if Jesus tarries, we're all going to die. All of us. Yeah, you too. We're all going to die. But you can have that peace. You can call upon that counselor. You can see the mightiness of God. And you can trust to the eternal Father. For He that gives, gives freely to all those who believe. See, this is why Christmas is so special to me. Whenever we get our children, they'll give up on in a few days. Whatever we give other people, they'll either get rid of or re-gift to somebody else. <laughs> but the gift that's been given us from God is something as born-again believers we should celebrate daily. And we should look forward to. 
Because that gift that was given to us was not one that we deserved. But yet one in God's great grace and mercy give to us that we may be reconciled to Him. And I pray today that you have that reconciliation with Jesus Christ. I pray that you're a born-again believer. If you're a born-again believer here today and you have been complacent with Christmas, God, I get up the tree. Let me tell you something. You can celebrate Jesus with or without a tree. You don't have to have the pretty lights or get in competition with your neighbor. You don't have to be rich to enjoy Christ. You don't have to be poor to enjoy Christ and celebrate Him. For Christ, just like He came to the Jews, He also came to the Gentiles. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Brothers and sisters, the light has come. But the light is also coming back. You see, His first advent, He came as a child. He came as a sacrificial lamb who emptied himself of his prerogatives. But I can promise you the next time he's coming back as a lamb, or a lion. And at the sound of his voice, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Amen? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy, your greatness, God. We pray that, Lord, you would just use us in a mighty way, that we'd celebrate the reason for the season. Lord, that we would celebrate the things that we don't consider cliche, the things we always say, Lord, but we would really believe it. That we celebrate the birth and the gift of God, the gift of eternal life that is found through Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank You for all You do. And all God's people said, stand and worship with us, please.